Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 22. The book of 1 Samuel chapter number 22. We're continuing with the series of the life and ministry of David. And of course, we understand that David eventually is going to become the king. That David did nothing to lift his finger to become the king. It was something that God had pulled him aside by the prophet Samuel, anointed him, and just told him out of the blue, you are going to become the king. Since that time, he didn't do anything to become into the palace. It was God that used circumstances to bring him into the palace. There he worked directly for King Saul. It was during that time that he met the giant Goliath. And in the field of battle, David understood that it was, he didn't come to Goliath with swords and spears and shields. But he came in the name of the Lord and he was able to trust in God and see a great victory won that day. Not because of him, but because of God. Now during that time some things had some ups and downs. Ups that he behaved himself wisely and the people respected David. The downs is that King Saul was very jealous of David. So much that King Saul attempted over and over and over to kill David. Now again as we're looking things from David's perspective, here is David who was told by God he was going to become king, but instead of being in the palace, He's on the run. That we counted six, seven different honest attempts by Saul to kill David. How would your mind be if you knew that the person who you were supposed to be serving wanted to have you dead? Over and over he wanted to kill David. Over and over his life was in danger. Until finally David in his panic... Stopped seeking God and went to self-preservation mode. And we've put an emphasis the whole time that just like Jesus and the disciples, when Jesus told the disciples, we're going to the other side, guess where the disciples are going? On the other side. It doesn't matter what storms happen. It doesn't matter what threats you may go to. If Jesus says you're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. God told David he's going to become king. So guess what is going to happen? David is going to become king. But again, it's one thing to know in theory. It's another thing in practice. And David, we could very empathetically see that David went in self-preservation mode and he ran. He hid. He went and he talked to um, Samuel the priest or the prophet. And Samuel the prophet could not protect him. He went to Jonathan the prince. And Jonathan the prince could not help him. Finally he went to the tabernacle of God. And went to the high priest. And went to the high priest and said please. And the high priest could not help him. That we saw last time that David in his hunger. He failed to trust God for his bread. That in his haste, he failed to trust God for his protection. And then in the middle of his heartbreak, he failed to trust God for his, for his direction. And David ends up being 
in the enemy camp. He goes to the king of Gath, the Philistines, the, the people that he was known to kill, the people who he killed, Goliath, the man who, in order to get a dowry from Saul, went and mutilated 200 Philistines. And that's where he seeks for help, the enemy. And when the enemy realizes they got David and they start saying, hey, isn't this the guy who killed us all? Isn't this our great enemy? We got David here. And David said, oops, I'm in trouble. And he began to spit on himself, let drool run down his beard. He began to claw at the, at the post and make himself look crazy. And the Philistines, instead of killing David, just laughed at him and sent him away. Pathetic, desperate, alone, and defeated. So this is where we find David. David had a time where he was in self-preservation mode and he didn't seek God. And now instead of looking as a hero, instead of looking at someone who's trusted God, everything's fallen apart. So David, in his distress, he goes by himself and he does get right with God. But this is where we pick him up right after this heartbreak. Right after this time where he realizes he messed up. And I don't know if you've ever come to the place where you knew that you messed up and failed God. That pit in your stomach. That heaviness that you have that I just let God down. I just messed up. Oh, people are now looking and God's got a black eye because of my testimony. And David in his heartbreak is alone. David just goes off to be by himself. And with that in mind, notice with me in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 22. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 22, and notice with me in verse 1. 1 Samuel 22 and verse 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all of his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them, and there were about with him four hundred men. And David went thence from Misphra of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart, get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hereth. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 22? The book of 1 Samuel 22, and notice with me in verse 1, notice the phrase, the cave Adullam. The cave Adullam. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to change the title just a bit and call it, In the Cave with the King. In the Cave with the King. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're a God that we could come to in any state, that we could come to you at any time and run to you and say, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I need your protection. I need your direction. Lord, I need you. And you say freely, come unto me, all ye that labor, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give thee rest. I'm so thankful that's a promise that you've always given. And it's a promise that you mean no matter where we're at, no matter who we are, 
we could run to you and receive the rest that you promised us. I'm asking that you would be an encouragement to someone today. Maybe there's someone that's struggling. Maybe there's someone in debt, someone in distress, someone who's discouraged. Let them come unto you today and realize what a great God that you truly are. We love you and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the cave with the king. Again, we start off this, this story with David in distress. David has failed God. He failed to trust God. And now the Philistines, instead of saying God is a man of great faith, has looked at him and said he's lost his mind. He is crazy. And David, this was, this was a breaking thing. Saul wants to kill him. God said he's going to be king, but he is not in with the king. He is so far away, he's running for his life. He has failed God. And so what he does is he goes to the cave of Adullam. The cave of Adullam's is a set of caves that look over the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is a place where the Jordan River runs down and the Dead Sea has no outlet. The reason why it's called the Dead Sea is because all of the minerals and all the waters can run into the Dead Sea, but they can't leave. So as the water evaporates, the minerals are left behind. Inside of the Dead Sea, it is almost impossible to drown because there's so many salt and minerals that your body automatically floats, whether you could swim or not. It's a place where because of so much salt, so many minerals that it does wash up into the shore that it actually has killed the plant life nearby. It is a place that is desolate, a place where is alone. And David goes up to the caves of Adullam that is overlooking the Dead Sea. And there he gets alone with God and he does get right with God and says, God, I need you. You know, isn't it amazing that when we finally exhaust all of the options that we have, that we finally go up to God and say, God, I need you. I need you. And that's at the place. God, I need you. I need you. And you can imagine the times that he's feeling alone, discouraged, disappointment. I can almost imagine in my eye that David in there probably spent some nights weeping and crying for God. Crying over a situation. Heartbroken. Weeping. And many of you have been there. But one morning something strange happened. He heard some movement outside of his cave. You could almost see David. Little campfire going on. Trying to block out the light. Wiping some tears out of his eyes. Someone's coming. Who is it? Is it Saul? Did he finally find me? After a little bit he sees a hand on the ledge. Pulling up over the cave. and he, With a hand. He could finally see a face. And there's his brother. His brother comes in. Hey, Eliab, I'm glad to see you. What, what are you doing? He says, hold on a second. And they bring up dad. They bring up mom. Bring up a couple other brothers. David's like, what are you doing here? What's going on? And they just simply say, David, we heard this is where you're at. And we heard what had happened to you. And we decided to go to the cave with you. After a little bit later, guess what happened? Some, another hand came up. And you see with a hand, you see another face. And it's another person, not of the family, but someone who's discouraged and says, you know, I've been watching the things that's happening. And I decided to be with David. 
And after a little bit, another hand comes up and someone pulls them up in the cave and there's another person. I'm deep in debt. I don't like what Saul's doing and I'm joining with you. And one by one, they begin to fill, fill that cave up with people who have decided to quit following the world and follow after the future king. Follow after David. What a story that is. That David is thinking he's all alone. David who's discouraged. He's right with God. He's speaking with God. But you know, he's with the time with God. God, just me and you now. God, I don't know what we're going to do, but you tell me what to do. And he spent some time getting right with God. And it was just when he got right with God, people began to come into the cave following him. He thought he was all by himself. And they all start coming to him. This is a story that we could see the people coming to David. You know, these men that came with David became to known in the Bible as David's mighty men. 400 men who came from different backgrounds, specifically of soldiers, mercenaries, came. And under David's banner, they knew no defeat. Under David's banner, they found what they need. And joining with David became the greatest decision they would ever make. In the cave with the king. If you don't mind, I'd like to point out some things from this passage here. As we have the idea now of these people coming and joining him, starting with his family. And let's see some things here about these people who joined David in the cave with the king. The first thing I'd like to show to you is their distress. Their distress. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 1. And David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dulam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Now this is significant because David's family his three brothers were already in Saul's army before David went uh, to fight Goliath. Eliab, his oldest brother, was already in the military. His two other brothers were there, remember? His father Jesse sent him with provisions to go check up on his brother in the army. So during this time, we know that David, he had fought Goliath. And David was placed in charge of the army. Can you imagine that? Your baby brother now in charge of you and all the troops. But with that, they saw a Saul attempt to kill David. They watch it. They're in the military. Imagine what a conflict that is to them. Their commander-in-chief is trying to kill little brother. What do you do? You can't rebel against the king. They put him together and Saul grabbed his troops one time and said, Guess what, guys? We're going to go hunt David down. I want everyone to be on the lookout to go find David. Imagine what you're, to hear the order that came from the king, you, that you are now in charge of hunting down little brother to kill him. Imagine things in the military were hard for them. Especially since David had, was told 
that he behaved himself wisely above all the people. In Psalm 18, you see that phrase that David behaved himself wisely like four or five times. That when he was leader of the troops, he behaved himself wisely. When he was inside facing the king, he behaved himself wisely. Even when everything else was turning against him, he behaved himself wisely. So it's one thing when you're hunting down someone who's a terrorist. You're hunting down someone who maybe has bombed something. But when you're hunting down someone who's done nothing but right, nothing but good, nothing but behaved himself wisely, and you know the king is jealous, but what do you do? There had to be a breaking point where Eliab had to make a choice. Do I follow King Saul or do I go with my brother? Now remember that David's brothers were there when David was anointed to be king. They were told by the prophet, this, your little brother, he is going to be king. So Eliab, he's standing in the troops. He's standing in formation, hearing King Saul rant, I got to kill David. David is an enemy. And he makes a choice. Do I join the king here or do I join with a future king? Do I go with this guy here who is mad or do I follow my brother David? He had to make a choice. And Eliab made the choice and his brothers went with him. They went to go grab Jesse and his mother. And they had to say, hey, Saul, he's going to kill you too. If he can't get to David, he's going to get to you. You understand that Saul was already a madman. He was already going crazy. And you knew it was not long before David in order to flush David out, Saul would have went after his family. Went after his folks. Even David's wife, Michal, who was daughter, Saul's daughter, was afraid she would die if she, if she got in the way. Jonathan, the crown prince, Saul tried to kill him because he was protecting David. So you can imagine there was a lot of discussion among David's family. What do we do? What do we do? What do we find out? When they found out that David was hiding in the caves, probably by secret, someone said, hey, I think we spotted David. He was up in those caves. He was drawing some water. The word got to them and they said, you know what? We have to quit our post. Let's go grab dad. Let's go grab mom. And let's go find David. And so they were the first to join with David. They came and joined David and said, David, we saw what was going on and we're choosing you. We're choosing your side. Now it's understandable about family, but it wasn't just family that joined. Notice with me in verse number two. And everyone that was in distress. Now at this time there was a lot of distress. King Saul was causing a lot of issues for a lot of people. So everyone who was in distress, everyone who was feeling the pressure, everyone who saw this world could not satisfy, they went to the king, the future king. Not only those that are in distress, those that were in debt, those that were in debt, those that knew they couldn't pay their bills, the things that were going on, they went and joined the king. Everyone that was discontented, and this world does not satisfy, this world does not uh, bring happiness and people were disconnect, disconnect, uh, discontent, they went to the king. And you know what happened? As every one of them went, 
end of the cave. And you can almost imagine them climbing this vertical cliff. And their hands get up on the ledge. And they pull themselves over. The whole cave is holding their breath. Who is this? And someone pulls himself up and says, is David here? I want to join with David. And you know what happened? Everyone that was in distress. Everyone that was discontented. Everyone that was in debt. Every single one of them, the future king, took. And he accepted. All ye that are heavy laden. Everyone that's broken hearted. Jesus made a promise. Come unto me and I will give thee rest. Everyone that, had, that realized this world couldn't solve. They tried so hard. It was everyone who was broken. Everyone who reached the bottom of the barrel. They went to David. We understand everyone that joined David. He accepted them all. He took them all just as they were. He took them all. This, these were part of people who were King Saul's army, part of his kingdom. And they were tired of giving everything to a kingdom that didn't satisfy. And they went to someone who was going to be the king and they joined with him. We also see not only their distress, but we see their decision. When David's brothers were in the army. They had rank. They had provisions. They had a place to stay. They left it all to go join with David. David had nothing to promise with him. He didn't have a fortress. He didn't have provisions. He didn't have a bankroll. He didn't have a grocery store. When they left him, they left the world. They left everything they had to go join with David. They left all. But it's one thing for family. But everyone else left their positions. Left their homes. To go up to a cave. Not next to a natural water where they could grow crops. They were next to someone that couldn't grow any crops. They went to someone with no hope of being fulfilled. And they went everywhere. Anyways. They left everything they had. To go join with this future king. And of course David received Everyone that came. You know when you make a decision to go follow the Lord. It's the best decision you'll ever make. And he'll accept anyone and everyone. It doesn't matter how broken they are. It doesn't matter what their finances are. It doesn't matter the things they struggled with. God will take them all. The only qualification in order to go to heaven by the way. Is that you have to be a sinner. You have to be a sinner. That's the qualification. Everyone that was in distress. Everyone that was in debt. Everyone that was discontented. The qualification to join David. <laughs> you had to be a loser. <laughs> you had to realize that the life didn't, couldn't satisfy you. You had to realize that, that you were not in a place that you could take care of yourself. That the world could not satisfy you. That was the only qualification. The only qualification to go join up with Jesus is to realize that you're a sinner. And because of your sin, you've offended a holy, righteous God and you deserve an awful place called hell. And there's nothing you can do to change that fact. You can't work your way out of hell. You can't go to a church enough to get out of hell. You can't help enough little ladies cross the street. You can't give enough money to church to get out of hell. There is nothing you can do to not deserve hell. Because 
the only reason why you deserve hell is because you sinned. And as long as you sinned once, we deserve punishment from God. Nothing we could do about it. In order to go to the king, you have to realize that he is the only one that could help me. And you have to leave this and join with him. Make a decision. I want Jesus. I need Jesus. The only qualification is that you must be a sinner. And Jesus said it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. If you come unto me, I will take you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad that God accepts losers? That God accepts people who are broken? That God accepts people who are hurting? That God accepts anyone as long as they come to him realizing he is our only answer? Aren't you glad that you don't have to look a certain way or be a certain amount of health or have a certain amount of wealth in order to go to him? He will take anyone, no matter what state, as long as you go to him. They left all and went to him. They made a big decision and they followed after him and they'll never regret it. We could see their distress. We could see their decision we could see one other thing in this passage here as we look at those people. We can look at their devotion. We can look at their devotion. What these folks did as they came up to David is they're going to let David be their leader. You know, David is not the king yet, but he's going to be the king. And they're joining with someone who has the future promise of being king. We understand that even in the world today that we live in, Jesus is not the king of the world. The president of the United States doesn't recognize Jesus as king. Congress does not recognize Jesus as king. But one day, Jesus will be king of this earth, meaning that he's the one who makes the laws. He's the one that makes the decisions. He's the one that's going to rule and reign. That our king is going to be our king in the future. And we're joining with him now. We made a decision. We made a devotion. He is going to be king. Now David on his side. He taught them scripture. As they came in. He began to teach them about God. Teach them about walking in God. How do I know that? Well I'm glad you asked. Turn with me if you don't mind to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Again, remember the history that I told you that David had been attempted to be killed by Saul several times. And in the midst of his heartbreak, he took off and he tried to go on self-preservation mode and he wasn't seeking for God. And he made some mistakes. After that, he got alone with God and he got right with God. Notice with me in Psalm 34 and notice first of all the title of Psalm 34. Psalm 34, notice the title of it. It says, a Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. So David stood before the king of Gath and he changed his behavior, spit in his beard and looked crazy. 
After that, when he realized that what had happened, he takes some time and he gets right with God. And he writes this psalm and has this talk with God before the people in the cave start coming. And as the people in the cave start coming, he probably used his newest psalm to teach people. What did he teach people? What was it? Notice with me in Psalm 34. Let's walk through it really quick. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, this is David. He's running from King Saul. He's hiding in a cave by himself. And what does he learn to say? I will bless God. I will praise him at all times, even in a cave by myself after I failed God. I learned that God is always good and that God is always right. He begins to teach people who, who have left all to join with him. And he teaches them, God's still worthy to be praised even in the midst of this time here. Verse number two, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord and the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. David said, I messed up before with my testimony. That's not going to happen again. I'm going to tell everyone about God and how great he is. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So here he's gathering up the people and you know what he's telling them? Let's magnify the Lord with me. Hey, you, you come into the cave, magnify the Lord with me. Let's bless his name together. You can imagine him as he's bringing him in the cave. He's teaching them this. Hey, let's praise God together. You're here now. Verse number four, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. David was afraid. That's why he went to the Philistines. But he came back and got right with God, spent time, and he said, you know what? I took some time to seek God, and he saved me from all of my fears. He says, I could trust God in the midst of my brokenheartedness, in the midst of my fear. I can trust him. Verse number five, they looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. You can almost imagine as he's working with them, that as the people realize that God is still good and God is still right, even at this time, their face changes. You know what? God is still good. God is still right. Verse number six, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles, all of his troubles. Again, you could see David just telling the people, hey, this poor man, I cried and God heard me and he saved me. He's given a testimony. Let me tell you what I just went through. I made a mistake, but God took me back and he helped me. I just had to come to him. Verse number seven, the angel of the Lord encamped about them that fear him and deliver them. He says, you know what I learned is that God could protect me. I could trust God to protect me during this time. Verse number eight is he's telling the people, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Here is a poetical language. It says taste and see. If you're going to taste something, you'll experience it for yourself. It's one thing for me to tell you that the Burger King Whopper is a good thing. But it's one thing for you to taste it for yourself. You experience it for yourself. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Test it for yourself. You test it. Don't take my word for it. You test it for yourself. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Verse number nine. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. For there is no want to them that fear him. Hey, if you trust God and fear him. God will give you everything that you need. There's no wanting in there. He knows how to take care of you. Again, they're, they're hiding in a cave with no Walmart, no supplies there. And they're saying, God's still taking care of us. Verse number 10, 
The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. He says, God's taking care of us even in this cave. How's he doing it? We don't know. We just know that God's doing it. Verse number 11, come ye children of Israel, hearken to me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What did I say before? David is teaching people to fear God. He's teaching people to seek after God. He just wrote this right after this and now the people are coming in. He is telling them, I'm going to teach them to fear God. He's using this opportunity. Verse number 12. What is man that he desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? So he asked them the question, you guys want to see good days? Hopefully you want to see good days. How is it that we can have good days? Verse number 13. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. First thing, if you want to have a good day, a principle to live, keep that tongue under control. Most of us can admit that half the problems, if not more, that are in our life is because of our own tongue. We opened up our mouth and aggravated someone, said something we shouldn't, shouldn't have, provoked someone, opened it up and caused problems for ourselves. You know how many problems would be eliminated or not have consequences in our life if we just kept our mouth shut? Simple principle. Notice it goes on. If you want to have good days, keep your tongue. Verse number 14, depart from evil. This carries the idea that you see evil and you go the other way. There's a lot of people who see evil and they run right towards it. Just run the other way. Don't even get close to it. If someone is having a problem with alcohol, don't go ne walking next to the bar. Walk around. Go somewhere else. Someone's having a problem with pornography, get rid of the internet. Avoid the temptation. Do what it takes to go around, to go something else. Go further away. If that's an issue, depart from evil. And notice this, and do good. So, Depart from evil and do good. Then notice this. Seek peace and pursue it. The idea of seeking peace is trying to not get in fights with people. And pursue after it. The word pursue as a word illustration is the same kind of idea as when a guy sees a girl and goes, Oh, and his heart starts thumping and says, I like her. Get her for she pleaseth me well. And the guys go chase after her. They like take showers and brush their teeth. And look presentable. And they do things they don't normally do. Like, you know, wear decent clothes. And they do everything they can to, to impress her. To go after her. To get her attention. They bring her chocolates. They go and get hot chocolate and deliver it to her doorstep. They do all these little things. That's the idea of pursuing. You know, if we pursued after peace like that, things would be better instead of purposely provoking the bear instead of saying things that that you know is going to cause a fight things would be better you know there's a principle that people need to learn let people be wrong so what it is not our job to correct people's behavior on every little thing so what so brothers and sisters need to learn this right if the sister doesn't wash the dish the way that you would, you don't have to kill them over it. You're doing it wrong. And as long as we laugh at little kids, we do the same thing as adults too. If just because someone does it, does it different doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong. But we don't have to provoke people and correct them and yell at them and browbeat them because they don't do the things the way that we expect to. The Bible says, 
Seek peace and pursue it. Chase after it. What is the best way to get peace in the situation? Oftentimes, shut our mouth and let them be wrong. Let God teach them. It's not our job to police everyone. Grammar Nazis, you don't have to correct everyone's English. We're using facetious illustrations, but we can build upon that. Seek peace and pursue it. You know how many of our problems and consequences of our days would be eliminated if we kept our mouth shut, avoided evil, and pursued after peace. A lot of our life would be good after that because a lot of the things we do is self-inflicted. We open our mouth and now there's consequences that happen because of it. And David's teaching these people who are brokenhearted, who have come to the place where they, they've left everything because things are not working out in the world. So he says, hey, you want to join up with me? Let me teach you a principle. We're all going to have, we have to get along in this cave here. Let me tell you how we're going to get along with this cave. Keep your mouth shut. Avoid evil. And pursue peace. And we're going to get along. We don't have to fight. We don't have to. Doesn't that solve so much? David goes on. He's teaching them in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Meaning God's watching us when we want to do right. And he's available when we start crying and say, God, I need you. Aren't you glad that God hears us in the midst of our tears? Verse number 16. The face of the Lord are against them that do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them in the earth. He says, I want to remind you that God even sees the bad guys. And let God take care of the bad guys. God's going to take care of them. I don't have to worry about our souls. God's got it taken care of. Verse 17, the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of the troubles. Anytime we cry up to God, he will hear us. Verse number 18, the Lord is nigh or close to them that are of a broken heart and saveth such of a contrite spirit. The idea of a contrite is a crushed spirit. The idea where you just failed and you know you messed up, that's when God is the closest so many times people, when they feel like they messed up with God, they feel like they can't come to him. But the opposite's true. That's when he's the closest. That's when he wants to help us is right after we messed up. All we have to do is run to him. He's available. He's there. Run to him. That's the kind of God that we have who loves us that much. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth his bones, and not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate righteousness shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of the servants, and none of them that trust in him, God, shall be desolate. That last verse carries this idea. Everyone who trusts in God, you'll never regret it. There'll never be a person that said, I wish I never trusted God. I wish I never believed in Him. I wish I never followed Him. I wish I never obeyed Him. That will never happen. David learned this lesson, wrote this psalm, and then as he got right with God, God sent all these people to David so he could teach them this principle. Go unto God. He'll accept everyone. The more brokenhearted you are, the more that God wants to be with you. God loves you. Jesus says this in the New Testament. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I 
forgive the rest. So in the cave with the king, what do we learn in this principle? Just run to Jesus, our future king. In all your distress, in everything that you go to, run to him. He will take you. And he will not reject a single one. Run unto him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.